This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. My name is Nick, and I have read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 6 of the AMC series, titled Les Enfants du Sang. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic, and by extension any future plotlines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 3, Episode 6, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also g2tpodcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T. And pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to our friend Jason K who's pledged at the level of $10 per month. Briefly, I would like to give people a little preview of what's going on with the Midwest Podcast Network. We've got at least two other active podcasts going on right now. There's one called Horror Movie Yearbook, where they talk about horror movies uh, in depth. They go back in time to a release year, or sometimes back in time to earlier in the year when a horror movie came out. And they discuss a horror movie in depth and what was going on in their lives and in the world at the time, seeking to contextualize what's going on uh, around that horror and why that horror movie might have come out that way at the time. So this past week, they talked about the movie Fear uh, with uh, our friend Marky Mark and Reese Witherspoon. Not our friend. We don't know them. But (laughs) they're in the film, uh, and it is uh, quite an interesting talk, even as somebody who has not seen the movie. So please go give that a listen. That's Horror Movie Yearbook, available in all the places that the uh, Gone to Texas is. And then also the Midwest Game Nerds podcast, we covered the new update to No Man's Sky. and uh, The next update. Yes, 1.5 is out, and it's getting closer to the game that it was promised to be. So <laughs> please go give that a listen. The Midwest Game Nerds podcast, available in all places as it's, Gone to Texas It's closer. Is. It's closer. It's not quite there. I don't know. It depends. You got to listen to the show and find out. Mm. So there, there you go. There you go. We did get some listener feedback this week from our friend Joseph. As always, there's also a great discussion going on in the Discord, as there always is. Always. And uh, all that is, all that takes is a little five dollar donation to us per month. Uh, you can stop even after Gone to Texas is done, or you can keep it going if you want to support any other future projects that we have going on, or the other podcasts going on in the network. But let's take a look at what Joseph wrote to us this week. He's commenting on the episode we're about to talk about. He said, another good emotional roller coaster as the show gives us some great Jesse and Tulip action before pulling the rug out and giving Grandma the apparent win. He said, number two, I was about 90% convinced that the Allfather and Star were eating Humperdue until Star swore loyalty to him at the end of the meal. And then number three, I'm sure some kind of twist is coming with Léon du Song but I have trouble figuring it out. They seem to need Cassidy for something, but for what? So I think some some good observations there from Joseph. Thank you for writing in. Uh, thank you to Bruce as well for, for always bringing some good discussion to the the channel uh, after the episode airs. It's pretty good. Yeah, Alex is not exaggerating. There is always discussion going on, even if it's not necessarily in the Preacher channel. Yeah. The guys who have jumped into the Discord uh, have, you know, 
made their way through a lot of the different channels going on there, and they are talking to us about television in general. We have a comics channel started now, actually directly inspired by the two of them, by yes. Bruce and Joseph. Absolutely. We have other uh, people in there as well, not just those two guys, but uh, we've got the Film Nerds channel still going just to talk about general movies. Uh, Youp keeps posting really good articles in there, and I yes. keep not and, reading and, them. And um, really good like videos and yeah. like video essays and things that Youp is like are our, our our research scholar abroad, and he keeps pulling pulling all this really great stuff in, and I keep sort of watching some of it and then not watching more. So there's there's like thirteen your, your of us. Not unnoticed. There are thirteen of us in there. I think probably six or so of us who are hosts of shows, and then the rest of them are listeners. It's uh, really cool. And, and it's a great discussion. There's lots of great discussions going on. Yeah, at all Horror times. Movie Yearbook is very active. Yeah. Uh, it's, Fil- the Film Nerds discussion is active too, even it is, though there yeah. is no Film Nerds podcast it's going true. on. It's right kind now. of the gener- general channel right now. Yes. It's where our thought, it, it's where the minimal thoughts we have about current movies goes yeah. and yeah. would be on a podcast if there were more of those thoughts to have. Exactly. But anyway, there's your incentive. Enough Jump of in. a commercial for our Patreon. Uh, Thank you to those who donate already, and uh, hopefully more of you will do the same. Mm-hmm. But on with our recap for the episode. So, season three, episode six, Les Enfants du Sang. Les Enfants du Sang. All I can keep thinking over and over is, Les you're what the French call. <laughs> Kevin, you're what the French call. Les Incompetents. I think you probably referenced that on I'm sure most of the podcasts on the Midwest Probably, yeah. <laughs> That specific line? Yes. Or just a That specific line, I'm pretty sure. Probably, yeah. I think it has been in all three of the television. Maybe not. Probably, I don't know. Probably. There's a lot of French in the stuff that we talk about. I guess so. So. Pardon my French. <laughs> all right. The teaser. We finally get to see Eugene. Eugene visits Anvil briefly to see that there is now a crater where the city once was. He questions God's plan for him as the Department of Human Services picks him up and he ends up immediately adopted by the one and only Saint of Killers. (laughs) Eugene realizes he's headed back to hell, but not before the Saint makes one last stop. It took six episodes for us to see a scene that is in the opening credits of the season. (laughs) It's true, yeah. And we still have not seen Hitler yet. I thought for sure he was going to be in this episode. Once we saw Eugene, I was like, okay. Yeah, it's like, all right. Well, and even so, I was like, okay, it'll be the end cap. Like, they Mm. bookended with the saint last time we saw him, so why not again? But apparently not, so. Uh, What did you think about Eugene's reintroduction to the show? We haven't seen him since season two. I really liked it for the most part. His narration was really, really fantastic. I just loved the, like sort of dark whimsical nature to it all mm-hmm. he was all very just like taken with it and the way uh, what did it feel like ah, shoot it felt this whole episode i could just get this up right up front actually yeah. felt like it was directed by edgar wright mm. in a lot of ways it felt uh, really influenced and, and i i made a note somewhere at some point and i'm sure you'll uh you'll bring up something in the recap that'll remind me of what i was what triggered this thought but i thought if edgar wright could direct an entire season of this show <laughs> it would be so incredible that would be really cool but there was a lot of his sensibilities on display in this but the, some of the vo it also kind of felt a little arrested developmenty, like it just kind of had this sort of funny recap feel to it yeah it wasn't like knee-jerk reaction to the situation it was more like he's penning his memoir later mm-hmm. like it was just very funny and I loved the the Helen back line and the way he delivers it is just it's it felt like a one man show yeah kind of, like, yeah know? like a, the moth podcast or something yeah. it was all just very like 
carefully presented mm-hmm. but in a way that was funny it didn't feel it didn't feel gritty or like it just was like a genuine guy just like talking to you. it was almost like forrest gump yeah like just yeah. a dude on a bench just telling you th- what happened and it, it was hilarious <laughs> like i was i was actually just like actually chuckling while most of the scene was playing out and when he's sitting down and he can he picks up where his narration leaves off and is delivering it to the kid and the cot across from him as though that kid was listening the whole time yeah, and I, I I really liked it all up until the saint showed up, and I didn't mind that the saint showed up, but the context, like, oh, you've been adopted, like that that joke was funny. Yes, but Eugene going along with it. Well, no, just the idea that the saint would walk in and be like, "I'm looking for Eugene Root," and then him doing whatever needed to be done to declare him as adopted. I was like, "This is stupid." Well, uh, yeah, unless I, it, unless it, it, the joke is the system is that broken where a man can show up, a big <laughs> giant man in a trench coat can say this is my son eugene root and they just take him there and say you've been adopted and that's all it takes i think uh well she didn't like the 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 caretaker or whoever is there is basically just like you got to fill out some paperwork and then he shoves her through the wall so it's kind of like a i didn't uh, but the system the the show and this is a small complaint but i i do feel it's a little valid the show definitely doesn't use the saint to his fullest potential mm-hmm. as he is depicted in the books like because there's a little bit of like because he's played for laughs sometimes yeah it kind of softens him and in a way that i don't really appreciate he should he can be funny but it should be in the way that like maybe the joker and the dark knight is funny like he's not really funny you're just like That's you are you are laughter. entertained but you're not you don't think it's actually funny like mm-hmm. he's not i don't know you know what i'm saying he should he should be like that the way that the Joker is kind of like the shark in Jaws, like he's this thing that shows up, and you're like, "Oh shit's going down." Yeah, like if the saint, if if he had delivered a similar line to the to the other orphan, and then like the saint just came crashing through the wall, and then just like said, "Come with me," and he's like, "Okay," and they leave, and that's how he gets out. Like that to me would have would have worked better, would have rung more true to the to the books. But the fact that he threw the lady through the wall right after, like, I was like, "All right," like we're we're kind of there. I don't hate it, but. I didn't love it. And yeah. this is the the saint is one of the characters that I that I have more issue with than others because they still haven't really gotten him quite there yet. There, he's had many many moments in the show that are like hell yeah, that's like the saint, but I'm still waiting for like something and it's it's because his interactions with Jesse have been like near misses or that kind of thing. I think that that's those are the conversations I'm really waiting for. Yeah. But anyway, small complaint good scene no i yeah i i get it 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 makes sense to like it it kind of um like the scene shouldn't talk (laughs) he shouldn't have conversations with people like uh hey uh i'm looking for eugene root is he here am i at the right orphan (laughs) oh great can i see him (laughs) even like an implied conversation exactly is is it doesn't make sense yes but i i don't know unless we could have seen it because he doesn't that actually I might have weirdly liked more because he doesn't have his guns. Yes. So him walking in and looking around and being like, almost like Edgar in Men in Black, like watching him try to interact <laughs> with people and then being like, what the? <laughs> like that, I may have liked that more if he's like, uh, Root. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, like I think in the first season they really kind of played him as like, he's going to say the word preacher and that's, and that's what it. he's going yeah, to say. Exactly. And they've, they've fallen from that a bit, but... I I don't know. It's still there for me, and I and I get it. I get what he's supposed to be, but I'm not. 
I will say I'm not like horrified at him showing up, which is something that I wish I was, you know? Exactly. Like when that outline of him shows up in the doorway, you should be like, oh, Jesus. I wish he was the most harshly backlit thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> he life. He is in season two. That's yeah, thing. that's that's true. They get the general mood of him really good in season two. And I guess Tulip's reaction, now that we know what a, what a badass Tulip is, I mean, she's even cooler in this season. Yeah. Looking back on season two, like her reactions to him, like that, that should really spell it out for you. Like that he's not. Like he, he his, his imposing yeah. nature. And maybe it's also because Jesse's so flippant about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the books, they do have this weird, I don't know, Jesse's not like too afraid of him in the books. But you can tell he, he at least recognizes that this guy's a walking like nuclear arsenal. It's like a, basically. it's like a stoic, like. I'm going to walk on eggshells here and be ready with my hair trigger, like, you know. With Genesis ready. Yes. I don't know. Anyway, I'm nitpicking the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's 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 a really fun scene, and it's it's really nice to see Eugene again. I got to say, he's just so refreshing. Also, the makeup is so incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when the saint is outside holding him, and you get, like, a real close-up on Eugene's face, and you can see that... It looks like the majority of what's on his face is prosthetic. Yeah. And they just are mo- enhancing the mouth a little bit because the, the nose and the nostrils and everything, uh, like, it was amazing. Yeah, no, uh, it is. It, it looks it it looks very convincing. I don't want to say it looks great because it looks gross, but that's good thing. That's <laughs> but it good. is great. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, if you had told me a couple years ago that the show would not only be as good as it is, but that I would like Ars face and that his makeup would be incredible, I'd be like, come on, there's no way they could do it they could do it justice i'm still i'm curious as to whether or not they will intersect with jesse i oh. i feel like it's i feel like they will eventually but i don't yeah. necessarily feel like it's going to happen this season even. I, I don't think eugene is getting back to hell i think you that, know, okay i think they're on a collision course with something that will derail that plan like <laughs> somehow the saint is there at at angelville with the grail and god i can only hope <laughs> that would be like it might happen one of my wildest dreams come true if, yeah. if he just ends up even if the saint just picks up like an m16 from somewhere <laughs> he doesn't even need his guns although his guns are hilarious and like in terms of what they can do yes he's just he's invincible he can, and if it, he gets to jody's arsenal i feel like oh he would he's just carrying jody in one arm yeah and uh has a bazooka on the other. <laughs> that would be quite good. Anyway, yeah, it's it's uh, enough uh, gushing about the the potential of the saint for now. Yeah, uh, let's move. What on. if the saint had been played by Val Kilmer and it was just a callback <laughs> to the saint? <laughs> <laughs> would have sucked. <laughs> yeah, but it, it would. I feel like that'd be very Rogan and Goldberg. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, if at the end of this whole series it turns out that uh, Jesse sold the the movie rights. They were optioned by a studio, and Ed Val Kimmer was playing the Santa Killers. That'd be the kind of <laughs> joke they'd make. That'd be pretty good. Another meta moment, by the way. I did end up seeing Mission Impossible uh, mm. last week, and just like as the movie was starting, I was like, "That's right, <laughs> Tom Cruise dies in the Preacher uh, premiere episode." Yeah, that's Genesis, right. Yeah, Genesis, and it's a running joke, like through the first season. They I'm keep showing sure. it on yeah. TV because yeah. they have like this. I think his remains get shot into space or something like that, which is very Tom Cruise. But anyway, Mission Impossible is very good. Everybody should go see it. I really want to go see it. Uh, but yeah. All right. Act one. Casty comes to see that Les Enfants du Sang are just a group of posers who meet in one of their grand- grandmother's basements. 
Icarius tries to keep Cassidy around with a parlor trick of eating a whole owl, demonstrating that he must be a vampire of some sort, too. Back at Grandma's, TC and Jody hook Tulip up to the soul extraction machine, but not before Jesse wakes up and stops them, saying he'd rather save Grandma's life with a bunch of souls than barely keep her alive with one. He wants to rob Sabina of the souls she has in stock, and the first step is to make the boys believe that Tulip and Grandma are indeed dead. I wasn't expecting Icarus to be a real vampire. And in that sense, I'm a little bit disappointed, but <laughs> I got over it very quickly. Did the rest of the scene deliver enough for you? Uh, Yeah, well, a little bit. Like, the whole eating of the owl thing, like, this, this Icarus, to me, feels like it could, in any other show, Icarus is a shark-jumping moment. But in Preacher, I'm like, okay par for the course move on <laughs> this is just another fact of the, the, show. the owl eating and the flying and everything like all of that feels like like a little bit of a bridge too far but it's ju- i've just been over so many of those bridges in the show that i don't really care or mind all that much i'm like i know this is going somewhere that's quite but, a power for a show to wield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tom cruise exploded in the first in the premiere so it's true um Expl- yeah liquefied <laughs> done so what do you okay what do you think about Icarus? i know you you kind of said you think he's going to serve a different purpose in the show as opposed to the comic do you still feel like that's true now that you've seen more of him? yes yeah the 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 children of blood so i can not stop for <laughs> not continue quoting uh home, home alone i almost said home improvement <laughs> uh I want you for a home improvement joke in this show. I feel like it would really would, would fit. <laughs> they they're they're very 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 different, both in terms of how they're introduced, uh, what relationship they have to Cassidy, what their function is, the main storyline surrounding them. Like currently, I think it's really possible that they don't ever necessarily I- intersect with Jesse, mm. and mm-hmm. uh, or Jesse and Tulip, but. They're they're just different, but I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Uh, I think Icarius is is pretty funny. One of the Edgar Wright jokes definitely was when he's when he's talking about it was like something straight out of Hot Fuzz. He's talking initially when they're before Jesse or I'm sorry before Cass really realizes that he's a real vampire. Yeah, he's talking about everything and he says we are. I wrote it down. I should probably just read it. He says something about them them being. Uh, he says it's our job to preserve the ways of the night, and then the owl hoots right after that. Yes, and I yes. died. I just like <laughs> lost it. It was so good. It's like the and it's the most like Google owl hooting sound effect, <laughs> and it was just like something straight out of uh, out of Hot Fuzz. Whatever. It reminded me of the people continually chanting for the greater the greater good. Yes, in the background, <laughs> and because uh, then the owl does it again later, and it's the exact same noise. It's like the the plate breaking sound yep. from Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> it was really really yeah. good. Like I just thought this is awesome. Uh, the group, the the actual uh, group is really funny. The fact that they're in dude's grandma's basement was really, Mrs. Really Rosen ba- <laughs> Mrs. Rosen's basement. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And I loved the dude that he was like, "Who's ready?" And then he calls forth, "What's his dang? Is dang, his yeah. dang?" And he's like, just it was the perfect guy. Like he just is so enthusiastic, but like really awkward mm-hmm. and just like with his fake teeth. Oh my god! Like I thought this whole thing is really funny, and I was completely in with Cassidy the whole time, just being like, "This is a joke." Yeah. This is ridiculous. Uh, Joe Gilgan, again, just 
tremendous in this scene. Mm-hmm. As soon as he wakes up and he's looking around, all the just he looked he looked like he just woke up from a really nasty hangover. And he had like one eye open, the other kind of shut, and he's just <laughs> looking at all of them and he's like just calling them names and it was just perfect. I, I that's the thing that's very interesting about it is that you are now taking like where Joel Gilgan is typically the outsider because he's different. Mm-hmm. Now he's the outsider because he's like he's he's not it's almost like he's not different enough in this group like he's not he's not the cliched vampire that all of them are or that they all want to they're all want to be be. yeah yeah he and also i think in other groups he's trying to fit in more he's trying to click and these guys he doesn't want to he's not interested yeah that's true that's true he's not trying it's also weird that he's the reasonable one he's like the sane one yep that's that's what I'm saying. He he's gone from being the uh like the um I want to snort whatever toxic substances are in this room. But even on like a more basic level, he's gone from being like the buster to Jason Bateman. Okay. In in arrested development sure. to now being the Jason Bateman yeah. to the buster of the, the of the the children of blood. So I it's just a very interesting flip on the dynamic. To the rest of the Bluth family basically. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So no, it, it was very good. Like, regardless of how outlandish Ikaria seems, the group of people existing that want to be vampires was never anything that I like even thought about having a problem with, and therefore, like all of that stuff, I th- I felt was quite good. Yeah, it's it was. Def- it was almost exclusively the eating of the owl, and that was, and and the 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 flying and the cat trans transformation <laughs> that that are kind of like it, it's like teetering on like a, if we keep going crazier as quickly <laughs> yeah it reached like a what we do in the shadows level yeah. of, of zany yeah it's true and it, it does it does make you no longer certain of the rules regarding vampires in the show yeah because Cass seemed so far like sort of a deconstruction of the myth he's like yes I'm I'm, I'm essentially immortal and can heal from pretty much anything but i can't go in the sun and i have to drink blood that's kind of the thing but he doesn't have to drink blood day to day mm-hmm. it's only to heal himself whereas Akarius seems to think if he drinks blood always it makes him more of a vampire at least that's kind of what Cass implies later yeah Cass implies that the skills that Akarius has are from the blood drinking which is not really i don't know i i personally was kind of like i don't know if he's right about that yeah. But, you know. We also don't, I mean, there's a lot we don't know about Akarius still in terms of even how long he's been a vampire. Seems like centuries. Yeah. S- upon centuries. Well, and then, like, the in terms of more rules with the vampires, like, he just, like, takes some blood from Dang and then Dang is now a vampire. Like, is that. Yeah. Like, I get, I guess I don't remember exactly how it happened with Denis, but it seemed a little more protracted than, like, I'm going to suck your blood a little bit and then. Yeah. So maybe Icarus is more potent. That's possible. Maybe yeah. because he hasn't killed his like he hasn't attacked his system at twenty four seven with like drugs and <laughs> and other noxious chemicals. He's, he's, a, a, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a, not a muted vampire. He's in better shape. <laughs> Just in better health. Yeah. No. I don't know. Um Yeah, and then the plan to to rob Sabina of the souls that the Boyds have collected I, I felt was pretty good. What did you think about the tulip wig? Oh, it was funny. It was just a nice little nod to to actual comic tulip. Yeah. 
And she, she walked out with it and uh, she asked him, do you remember this? He's like, hell yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's like part reference for readers, part like callback to them and him thinking that wig was pretty sexy. It was, uh, <laughs> it was Dominic Cooper was great. Those two were a couple in real life for like almost a decade. Ye- I... They, I just saw this, like, and and whether the source I read was credible or not, I don't know. But it said that they were that Dominic Cooper and Ruth Nega were a couple for like eight or nine years, and they just like weeks ago recently split. I had heard that. I don't know that I had ever internalized it. Yeah. Uh, they were in a relationship beginning in 2010. They lived in London, starred opposite each other in many projects, including National Theatre's production of Fedra in 2009, a short film, the 2016 movie Warcraft. Of course, yeah, we know that. And AMC's preacher, they reportedly split up in April of 2018. I wish I had never found that out because (laughs) now that they, I know, and then they broke up, I'm so bummed because it explains so much about their chemistry. Yeah. And now I'm just sad. (laughs) Now you're going to be looking for the little cracks I want those two crazy kids to just work it out (laughs) because they are so awesome. Yeah, they are very good. They're also both like ridiculously beautiful people. Just work it out, you two. Yeah. And make some gorgeous kids for Joe Gilgan to be an uncle to. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, I found that out and I was like, oh, wow, that's I had I had no idea. And uh, I actually think that my discovery that came on the heels of this hard and fast Mamma Mia conversation in the Discord, because I know Dominic <laughs> Cooper used to date Amanda Seyfried. Yes. And uh, somehow reading some article about that on Reddit or something, I saw the, the thing about him and Ruth Nega, and I was like, no. <laughs> so they better straighten out. I guess they said that it was like really amicable, and I, they're still like buds. It must be, because they look like they're best friends hanging out at Comic-Con. Yeah. And, you know, like it... It was really interesting, though, because Ruth Nega talked about how important it was to have to star opposite him. She's like, because you you always have someone on set who's like got your back. She goes, which is, you know, you can work these like 12, 14 hour days shooting preacher. She's like, and it gets hard unless you're like with your best friend, essentially. Yeah. Like someone who can help support you and kind of prop you up. And that yeah. Kind of thing. So I thought that was interesting. Some, that uh, is very interesting. Some behind the scenes that I didn't know. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the the plan, I guess? You know, they were going to take Tulip's soul. Looks like she and, and Jesse lost the fight that ensued at the end of the yeah, last episode. Which, of course, they did. What I really love about this, I guess, are we just going to start talking about the actual plan itself? Is that in the next act? I mean, it's all throughout the episode, okay. but it, it'll just hasten the conversation later. So it's I, I really like that it reveals that Tulip is really like she's the the number one bank robber yeah bank robbery weapon like it's it's her like she's the key to it like jesse is jesse's good he's like a good like point man but she's kind of like the brains she'll put the on the thing. act and case the joint and you know exactly figure out Surveil what's gonna it happen nicely she can blend in she can talk her way in and out of a lot of situations like it's i really loved that dynamic of the relationship that he even says like you didn't have tulip before. Yeah, like she's she's the brain. She's the zisu. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, she's the zisu. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I I love that. I love that about her. And she the way she carries it is just fantastic, just phenomenal. The way yeah. she even walks in the door of the bank is she just seems so in her glasses. The whole wardrobe. It's like I love the the idea that that it's all it's all her. Her yeah. being like, I'll wear this. I'll wear these glasses. I'll talk this way because that's what's gonna work. And I thought that was just just perfection it's not going to be jesse walking in there with his mullet that he had in right. the flashbacks with uh <laughs> which would be amazing yeah it would be great but but i like that she doesn't play it like super sexy or anything like she she's she's cu- she's luring she's cute and he, like really likable but she's not in a way that 
It's not like some distracting. It's, it's not, not like her having to like like drop the cleavage to like exactly or like bend over and pick stuff up all the time. Yeah, she's just like likable. Yep. And I think that 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 goes further because also like she's memorable, but not she's not the woman in the red dress from the Matrix. Like mm-hmm. the the bank manager will be like, oh wow, what a what a nice, pleasant like young woman, and he'll want to help, but he won't be like later tell all his buddies like you should have seen this chick that came into the bank today. Yeah, she's she's just like inconspicuous enough that he'll yeah. forget about her despite awesome. the fact that it's the same day that he got robbed yeah it was great so yeah no it was very good uh yeah I like this it's he dude just licks it it's yeah so, <laughs> <the fuck? laughs> very and then very, he's like oh yeah it's this new asian technology yeah. it's like oh, yeah of course cool huh <laughs> yeah it was really good she's like yeah <laughs> yeah Anyway, we'll we'll circle back around to that detail. Yep. Yes, we will. All right. In Act Two, Tulip easily cases the bank where the Boyds keep their souls locked up, but they need to procure Sabina's saliva to get her get into her safe deposit box. The crew find that the police response time is only seven minutes, so TC offers to buy them more time, and all they have to do is get Sabina's spit. Akarius picks a loyal subject, Dang, who turns into uh, to turn into a vampire that night in a blood ceremony. He invites Cassidy, but Cassidy isn't too interested. Cassidy explains that he's too different from Akarius to hang out with with the children of blood, but Akarius suggests that Cassidy has been living his life as a vampire all wrong. And then also, Hare Star rides the elevator with Hoover, explaining that they need to find Cassidy in order to get Jesse back in the fold, but they have to do it quietly since the All-Father is now scrutinizing his actions. When the elevator opens, we see that Featherstone has been trying to hold the operation down, and interacting with Hoover and Featherstone leaves Star exasperated. He sneaks off to his office to find the All-Father there waiting for him after he reveals the state of his head injury. Uh, yeah. Casing the joint, we talked about that a little bit. TC offering to buy them time, we can touch on in a later act, uh, but <laughs> that all seems good. Um, we talked a little bit about Akaius selecting Dang, but Cassidy, uh, it's interesting to me to see these two different vampires that have, like, how their lives have progressed over time. Just the fact that Cassidy is seemingly dealing with the fact that he's a vampire, whereas Acarius is seemingly enjoying it. Yeah. And and he's taken the time to learn 19 languages, or maybe that was part of his upbringing, too. Who yeah, knows? Because he is royalty. But So he claims. The fact that he seems to still find joy in things like playing Bach on his harp and <laughs> like... It, it, he seems like a man who is who is still very much engaged in life yeah where where cassidy on the other hand seems like someone who is like merely coping with the fact that he is having to deal with living forever you know yeah i think at this point i'm not too off the mark in saying that it's gonna pretty soon become crucial that we get Cassidy flashback. Okay. Because we're just circling we're just we're beating around that bush. Exactly. Yeah. We're we're drawing this out. I get why. Yeah. But at this point because these these are two different personalities and 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 to jump ahead just a 
touch. Yeah. He uh, Acarius says that he turns good people like because he mentions like what was your son like and he's like oh, he's kind of a dick actually and he's yeah. like yeah he takes the time to like vet and find good people that will do good things with the gifts which sort of puts forth the idea that Cassidy was not a good person to begin with mm. that maybe he because Cassidy does bad things we've seen him do some bad things and he has done more bad things that we have yet to be made aware of i'm sure because you see you know what his his default mode is crack house yeah and steel and that those kind of things and Icarius's default is play the harp and uh <laughs> fly <laughs> he's superman basically <laughs> and uh you know the implication then is be- that is he is because he is of of a royal lineage so he says and he's got this cultured upbringing he was born and bred to be a good person and do good things with the power he's given. It is also interesting though that they've both ended up like in this like low rung of society where like Cass is essentially just a junkie, an immortal junkie, and Acarius is just a lives in a dude's basement, a dude's grandma's basement. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so even with all that power, this is still kind of where you land. But he seems fine with it. Yeah. I'm a little wary of Acarius's uh, actual actual intentions like, well yeah. intentions as well as like is his history really can he actually speak you know what i mean is he all these things he says he is or did he get turned into a vampire 50 years ago his name <laughs> is jerry and he was an apartment or he was a uh, i was just thinking that too i was like what if, what if he's been a vampire for like 10 years and exactly that's why he and he like, puts on or he's acting like the girl who said she was a vampire for 200 years maybe he's just carrying on his role play much like I mean, he he was flying around and shit. No, no, no. But but I'm saying he maybe once. Oh, was a oh, human. Sure, sure, sure. He's More created recently, this whole backstory. Yes, yeah. he, yeah. he is. He is. No, created. he's probably from like Jersey or something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean that'll be really funny if he pulls off the wig and and he's just is like a just an American dude who's mm-hmm. like, whoa, hey man, calm down. But he is definitely a, a bit of a badass vampire as we see later when Cassie tries to kill him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, uh, all that's a little a little unclear. But I, I like the the argument that he's putting forth that if you know it's like a nature nurture kind of thing mm-hmm. but you know if if turned into a vampire you know given a long enough timeline will everyone default to doing worse things because you've slightly lost your mind slightly you know like uh, is Cass's argument when he basically says you start drinking motor oil just to feel something new and you uh he says something else along those lines too. Basically, just you you live long enough, and life is no longer enough, and yeah. you start to just be worse, and you start to do worse things just to try to feel alive again. Will everyone eventually reach that point? I think it's it's kind of an interesting. Do, thing do the continued tragedies of living exactly? Uh, yeah, of that was existence, thing, yeah. like compile upon you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a very good Jonathan Colton song that he wrote. Uh, you could stop there, and in, I would say yes. Well, yeah. In the style of Ben Folds or Ben Folds Five, called Blue Sunny Day, which is about a depressed vampire who wants to kill himself. Oh, really? Yeah, and That's it's awesome. a it's a fantastic song. It is really good. It's very catchy. He's another one of those guys like our music discussion last week who writes stories. Yeah, no, and, absolutely, and, yes, for sure, and they're really fun to listen to. Yes, so uh, check that out. Blue Blue Sunny Day, very good. But yeah, no, I I I'm interested to see how this plays out, and it does feel like the 
we are being presented with an opportunity for to for Cassidy to start sharing more about his backstory for sure. I yeah, think that's I think, true. I think we need it soon. Whether that, it's him and Acarius like trading stories or you know, just kind of sharing with someone else in the group. Like whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I hope I mean I had hoped that when it does get to that point because the first when you hear about his flashbacks in the in the books, he's telling it to Jesse. And they're at the top of the Empire State Building, mm. and it's great. And mm. it's uh, it's some of my favorite stuff. And uh, the, the the top of the Empire State Building actually becomes kind of important, not like in any like major like somebody jumps off of it or anything, but yeah. like becomes this place of like these connections. I don't know. It's kind of cool. Huh. I don't know if we'll ever get to that. Probably not. The show seems to only shoot in the south. Yeah. But if they flew uh, flew just a few of them and a small skeleton crew out to, to the Empire State Building to shoot that, it would be really kick ass. That would be very cool. Or maybe we'll hear season four is filming in New York, but oh, who knows? God. I hope. All I want to hear is season four is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right yeah that's point. the minimum bar I'll right now. It. All right. Uh, Hairstar. Yep. His uh, his ride in the elevator with Hoover is just <laughs> so, so good. It's fantastic. I, I What's the name of the guy who plays Hoover? I don't even know it. Uh, I'll look it up real quick. I know, I know, I know it in the back of my mind, but I can't recall it right now. Man, he is just stepping. Even every day, he puts on that that role like it's a comfortable pair of slippers. Malcolm Barrett. I was gonna say Malcolm. I thought it was Malcolm Young, but he's from uh, ACDC. Not correct. <laughs> uh, Hoover is just fantastic. I mean, as much as I love Featherstone, Hoover, <laughs> I kind of look forward to, to him more, especially when it's him and Star together. Yeah. It's uh, in the end of the scene. Just forgot to press the button. (laughs) Oh man, it's so good. His like, I don't know. He's he's caught between these these forces above him and the Grail that are clearly moving towards two different opportunities. But his like complete aloofness. Like, how did he even get to be in the Grail? Oh yeah, exactly. Like, how did he make it through those tests that Hair Star made it through? It's one of the best. (laughs) jokes in the book or like kind of along those lines too hoover's a little different in the book but the the ineffective nature of uh of samson unit is one of the funniest things in the books yeah. and featherstone is not particularly she's not as as accomplished as she is in the show she's not on the level of hoover she's not like a total dunderhead like him and her her desire to impress hair star and get his attention her is, ambition is the same yeah yeah uh but she's definitely a more effective field agent in the in the show, even though the rest of the organization can't support her uh, her her uh, abilities, yeah, and desire, yeah. But yeah, the elevator ride was really good. Um, it's one of those little scenes that doesn't. It could be shorter. It doesn't necessarily need to be there, but it it just is what makes this show as great as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and a little bit of exchange with Featherstone, the fact that. Uh, Star has messages waiting for him from Robert Mueller and uh, Xi Jinping and, and Meghan, Meghan Markle. Markle. Yeah. You know, it that's going to date that scene a little bit, but I think it fits in at a at a good time. Yeah, uh, that's okay. And th- those are names that they're not going to. It's not like making a reference to like a, a lava lamp or something yeah. like that. That's it's going to be remembered. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so what did you think about the reveal? I was so disappointed by it. <laughs> I was so incredibly <laughs> let down by it. 
What is did it, you think? <laughs> I it didn't really like connect with me until the All Father actually said it. That's the mistake, man. Yeah. God. But what, I don't what know a, what they could have really done to like They could have done exactly what the book does because <laughs> it's one of the best jokes in the book. It's Yeah. I don't want to say the or the the way he gets his wound is different in the book. Okay. But it achieves the same result and it, in in the way like I think that the issue where it happens like it happens then you move on he like gets away or whatever you don't see the the scar and then I think it's the beginning of the next issue or like two issues later he's the whole page is broken into like nine panels and the first eight are the exact same they're him staring into the mirror yeah just staring at the scar and you're looking at it too and you're like I don't get it at first and then but the ninth panel is like it's the same thing but it's just that there's a dialogue box and he just says shit and I think <laughs> that's it and then it clicks and you're like oh my god his head looks like a penis now and the way the way it's done is so funny and it's so simple and it lets you arrive at the joke on your own and it's just so good and in the show to have the reveal not be framed in a way where you understand the injury at first and then to have a character just be like your head looks like a penis <laughs> I was like oh way to take a really like lowbrow joke that is really elegantly told in the book and just like make it suck. I was really bummed out, especially after I hyped it up so much as being like, I hope it gets there to the way it does in the book and it doesn't. And that's, that's too bad. At the end of the day, it's there, which is fine. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get lots of giggles out of it in the rest of the series, but the reveal is so awesome in the book. And I'm just really disappointed that they, that that one fell super flat. That's a bummer. But yeah, like if I pulled up the panel and showed you, you would just start laughing because it's just so it's so well done. <laughs> Especially when Star, because Star, when we see Star make the discovery himself, is also what makes it so funny. Like in the show, we he skipped has, over. He it. has clearly already found out, and that's why he's wearing all these goofy hats, yep. like his cabaret hat. <laughs> I, and I like these jokes too; like they're really funny. And no other characters yet seem to necessarily know why he's wearing these hats mm-hmm. or if they do they're doing featherstone's doing a great job of like being like oh I, it looks great and not yeah. thinking about the dick scar under his head <laughs> under the hat but i i just was so i think i like just went oh and just like sighed when i was watching it because i was like that's a bummer yeah book readers back me up here maybe they don't care maybe i'm the only one hung up on the reveal of the dick <laughs> scar on the well head. on the on the on the nature of the john wayne stuff last episode which i'll touch on in a second here with joseph i, for, I forgot that he had to, he had he'd gone into the discord to let us know whether or not it worked for him but i i would like to know if anybody else was like it, we have seen that i can be somewhat unobservant in some cases there are some things that i just don't tend to be clued into and i don't know if it's because i'm still on like the west world wavelength or what it is but i would like to know if if that hit anybody differently or if it took until the all father to like actually realize oh that's what the joke is here yeah because even the musical cue when he pulls the head off makes it seem like it's like this horrific injury from like you know like a burn victim or something really like you're supposed to be like oh and like recoil and like horror but it's not supposed to be gross. It's supposed it's to be, be funny. Goofy, yeah. The and there were there was a moment later in the episode when he's sitting there talking to the All Father, and and I was just looking at him, and I kind of like I was looking at his eyes, and I kind of looked up like that, and I, and I kind of was like, yeah, it's working, <laughs> like it's doing what it's supposed it's, to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I it, 
I'll be interested to see if they get any how much mileage they really get out of it. I was also in the show. I mean, I want to give a minor book spoiler about how he gets it in the book. It's intentional in the book. Let's just say that in the show, it's an accident, and in the book, I think I might know a little bit from what. I mean, from like a you and Lance conversation previously. Yes, which character would do that to him? But it is it is intentional in the book. Someone someone gives him that, knowing what it's going to look like, essentially, and. And when you, when it happens, like as it's happening, you're like, what the fuck? And then when you see the joke and you realize later that the character knew what they were doing, you're like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> and in the show, because it was just the result of like a, a mistimed shot, you're like, it's not quite the same. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But maybe they couldn't get that one past AMC. Maybe they're like, yeah, this character carves a dick in his head. And like, <laughs> well, no, it needs to be an accident. And then it just is misfortune. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so Joseph did, did let us know as we put the call out there, uh, he is unspoiled. He has not read the book and if the show ends, he's planning to mainline it, but I'll oh, do it anyway. Uh, when, when the show, do you say if, or when the show ends? He said, if the show ends, okay. whenever um, it ends, do it anyway. Like just because, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, but he did say in, in, in he, this is in reference to the John Wayne stuff that we wondered whether or not people quite understood. He said, I think I got the sequence, although I had heard you talk about it, but I don't see Wayne as show Jesse's spirit animal. Wayne was uh, too straightforward, even in his more conflicted stuff like the searchers or the shootist, and Jesse has been a big ball of barely contained rage. It's funny that you mentioned High Plains Drifter later, cause be, uh, because that's the movie that occurred to me when thinking about show Jesse. Um, which I think is a very interesting point, and I, and I pretty much agree with what he says there. Yeah, um, he... And I, I kind of ch- replied a little bit to that, but he basically echoes exactly what I was thinking, that John John Wayne, in both, I think, in his on-screen persona as well as his off-screen life, was a pretty, like, he kind of spoke his mind, and he was a pretty straightforward dude, whether whether right or wrong. And spirit animal John Wayne, as I'll call him, in terms of the, the comic, he says a lot of stuff that's like pretty, like you read and you're like, oh no, like I don't agree with that. Like he's not always right. Yeah. He's not like a fairy godmother. Like he says some pretty nasty stuff to Jesse, but it feels in character with Garth Ennis's idea of what John Wayne would be like sitting on your shoulder. How, what, what? Like a, like a little <laughs> what racist. older senile John Wayne yes, came yeah. from. Like he says some, some, some racist stuff and some pretty insensitive stuff. And, and sometimes it like motivates Jesse because he's like mean to him. I don't know. You just it's one of those things that I don't want to dive too much into, but if people read the book, uh I think it's one of the most fascinating things about it. Yeah. I always love when he shows up. Very interesting. He's not like throughout the entire book. It's not like every issue there's a conversation with John Wayne. Yeah, but comes, he shows comes up. Comes and goes. Yeah. Uh all right, let's move on to act 3. Jesse meets Sabina at the bar and while he fails at making Sabina spit in his face, he succeeds in stealing a kiss from her to get her saliva. Jody drops TC off at a petting zoo and he steals a goat as a distraction for the police. His status in the community tears them away from Jesse and Tulip as they rob the bank successfully. Meanwhile, Jody heads to the Boyds and seemingly kills them all. Um, uh, I like that it seemed to be like the same bar that Jesse was at when he met Hairstar. And that's just the haunt. The local watering hole. You know, that's that's kind yeah. of around those parts. Um Although, I don't know, I guess, once again, I don't know where Angelville is compared to, to New Orleans, but um, 
but no what did what did you think about this stuff we get we get some kind of like the final the i you get the impression that this is the first time they've spoken since he's killed mm-hmm. uh kenny. kenny yeah her brother um i really like how well the plan comes together uh, i kind of appreciate that a lot of times in feels like in most things i've been watching recently there's always like the setup of a good plan and then something goes awry and i liked watching how jesse was able to predict her her and her crew's moves so yeah. well i just like when the characters are smart yeah we've talked about this a lot on the film nerds too. oh yeah we appreciate smart smart characters. people doing smart things is yeah exactly you know, the it's, phrase. it's yeah. it's too much of crazy random happenstance messing things up or or like just smart people doing things that they wouldn't normally do Mm. that kind of like really pulls you out of whatever's going on i always think of prometheus is the first movie that i think the biggest offender yeah but yeah which is weird too because when we rewatched it i think we both liked it so much more we liked it more but that was still a problem for me absolutely yeah yeah, you're not wrong and it's funny because the big the big uh the first example i always think of of getting this right is world war z that's always the first one i think of because i'm like that movie gets like a weird amount of crap and I don't understand why. I think it's it's really it's a really like well done movie. I haven't revisited it since we saw it. I've theaters, watched it a few times since theaters and I, I still think it holds up and, and I just appreciate that Brad Pitt's character does like practical things, like yeah. s- intelligent things that are just simple and I'm like, Oh, that's smart. Anyway, different podcast. Yeah, but no, it, it was it was nice to watch the plan go off without a hitch and mm-hmm. you know. I also I like <laughs> We got to see TC go full TC for the most part. Uh, I like I like the fact that the pixelation did not cover nearly enough. <laughs> it, it wasn't pixelated enough. No, it, it was did, like eight pixels. Yes, it should have been like um, ten ten thousand. <laughs> yes, it should be. It should have been high resolution resolution pixel pixelation. But I love when Jody drops him off and he's like, "Are you good by yourself?" <laughs> the way okay. <laughs> the way TC's sitting in that car with his lower jaw just stuck out. I mean, he's always kind of like that, but it was like extra far in this scene, and it was just cracking me up. I was mm-hmm. like, man, he is so funny. He's like, no, I think I do better with privacy. <laughs> I was like, ew. Yeah. yeah, he's not just stealing that goat. <laughs> no. He, no, had, he had his way with at he least had, that goat. He, he had his intentions. Yeah. You know, but. And it gives when the cops, oh, there's a petting zoo. We're going to a bank robbery. It's TC. And that's enough to make them turn around. Yep, like, they're no, like, oh, God. He's raping every animal in, the, in that <laughs> petting zoo right now. As many as he can get before we get there. Yeah, it's, uh, <sighs> it was funny. TC in the show, he's somehow weirdly like entertaining. You want to, <laughs> you want to, you want to see him around in the book. You're like, get this guy out of here. And, uh, Jody, yeah. So Jody says he's doing something for for Ms. Maori. Yes. And it turns out it's just killing all the Boyds, as many Boyds as he can find. Well. Or as many of her crew. Killing all the Boyds, and then we eventually see that it is him uh, taking Sabina. Yeah. Because Grandma wants to, to eat her soul, but that, you know. It's interesting. It's a very, like, Walter White move for Grandma, like, just stealing the souls and, and giving a, you know, uh, a really extreme blow to her organization isn't enough like she's like no i'm gonna take this opportunity right now while i've got all these resources i'm gonna burn this shit to the ground yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna cut it off at its head we're gonna prevent any retaliation exactly yeah. like it's 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 a it's walter white it's actually yeah. the only thing i can really think to compare it to it's no. heisenberg walter white or gustavo fring you know it's true but yeah no it was i, I it didn't was good. expect that and it was awesome yeah yeah 
I feel like Jesse kind of knew that that might happen because when he sees her whispering to Jody and we see him kind of looking at them, yeah, I think he's he's kind of taking in the fact that she's planning something with just Jody. I think he kind of has to figure that Sabina might wind wind up in the it really her herself might wind up in the crossfire, and uh, what happens to her ultimately is pretty tragic. It's weird that I feel bad for her. You know what it I mean? It is and it isn't. Because it's, like, it's kind of like we said. It's It seems as though she's doing... We didn't really see her we didn't organization... See her her, we didn't being, see her at her worst. No. We, we don't know that they... They don't they don't have the tombs. Like, right. do they... Do, but do they have something? Have they been as nefarious? Or are they like... Are they more like Gus where they're cleaner? They're like, okay, you, you pay your debt and if you don't, we'll just kill you. Yeah. And, and you're dead your and you're gone. Yeah. yeah. And, and we Rather have your soul we, for whatever we'll we need it for. keep you alive and torture you for decades. Yeah. And, and so... I don't know. Like, it almost, to me, lends credence to... Like, if Jesse was kind of aware or suspected that she might be in the crossfire, like, it almost lends credence to me to the idea that he wasn't so much when he was younger, leaving her to protect her, but leaving her to stop her from becoming mm, that's a good point. grandma or, or, or being as bad as Angelville, the Angelville operation, at least. I mean, she still but, pitted Tulip against his grandma and that in his mind, that probably justifies it. That's true. He's yeah. like, I don't want you to wind up in this, but if you do, I'm not, it's like the Batman. I'm not going to kill you. But. Well, and ultimately he does her the sympathy of killing her rather than letting her, uh, fester in the tombs yeah. for, for long. So I don't know. It's very complicated as any actual relationship in life sure. would be, but you know, cause sometimes your grandma steals some souls and sure. you got to deal with it. But uh, yeah, no, I it, it this act was really good, and and just kind of how brief it was and quick, and it got us to the point. I think it was all good. So, uh, I I guess any and like any other things about like I did really, <laughs> it was um funny to me that when Jesse sits back down in the car and he pulls out his tongue scraper or whatever, and Tulip comments about about that and the fact that you know she was supposed to spit on your face not you know but jesse had planned for that anyway yeah he had it in his back pocket yeah it's like he 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 knew that there might be a step two unfortunately or Either fortunately or he, enough he, uh, it was the it was the actual plan it a. was it was a skill check for him <laughs> he's like let me see if i still got it if i can it'd be so much cooler if i could seduce her rather than uh, get her to be angry yeah because <laughs> the way he kind of says it is a little like well <laughs> and he's talking to her he's like yeah well, how about that and he's kind of got this little like twinkle in his eye like he probably figures like i could get her to spit in my face by being more of a dick but my plan a should be to get it more amicably because i could always piss her off yeah. that kind of thing something like that but no, it was it was funny. So, all right, Act Four, Star and the All Father sit down to a meal before discussing the business that brought the All Father into town. Cassidy sees Acarius use a whole lot of new vampire tricks and wonders how he's gotten them. But to Cassidy, it appears that the blood that Acarius takes from his tributes as he turns them in uh, turns them into vampires is what's giving Acarius his powers. Cassidy thinks there's a fundamental divide between him between him and Acarius. 
And while Icarus was supposedly just looking for a friend, Cassidy isn't interested. And then Jesse and the crew feed the souls that they stole to Grandma to bring her back to health. Did we skip over Icarus and Cassidy out at the bar? No, that ha- well, that happens here. Okay. It's not. It, it. I kind of skipped over it in my summary, but this is the act that it happens in. Okay. So the new vampire tricks, the flying, the turning into a cat, the glamoring of the couple. Yeah, I think those are. What's interesting is I think those are old vampire. Those are like the traditional like Bram yeah. Stoker's Dracula. I guess my phrasing those the, of those are the cliches as Cassidy. Yes, my, so perfectly points out my phrasing of new is in the sense of like new to this to to our understanding yeah. of the vampires in this universe. I guess but they're they're really silly, all of them. Like when he, I remember thinking like, is he going to turn into a bat at some point? And then he turns into a kitten. And I was like, it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's 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 very much like a you know, not necessarily Nosferatu, but it's Dracula. Yeah, Dracula. Some you know, straight Dracula game. Yes. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, he needs to turn into fog at some point because I think <laughs> vampires can do that too. Yes, <laughs> that would good. be quite good. Yeah, I'm interested to hear more about that. I mean, it is it is goofy. Like I said, it reminds me of what we do in the shadows because they have a lot of yeah. they, they turn into bats in that right, and they fly around and shit. And uh, in like a modern setting, it's really silly. And and, a, and in like a in that sense, it being in like a documentary style, the idea of like, oh, this is happening out there. Yeah, and yeah, this is how it's true. We as the film crew are capturing these <laughs> these tricks. Yeah, the uh, for a show that does so much with uh, what I have to imagine is a relatively lean budget, the flying stuff looked awful. <laughs> I was like, this is either by design that they like want to make this look like a B movie. I don't know, or I was or gonna, they just were like, yeah, whatever. I was going to ask you about that because something that I've noticed, like one one of the main tells of green screen, I think that are out there is the fact that there is a green glow on the actors, but not on anything else around them. Yeah. And is that, uh, is that not fixable in posts with like color correction? Well, is that really like a, we didn't light well enough kind of thing. I felt like they were trying to emulate the look of like street lamps. Okay. Cause I noticed the green on them too. And I remember thinking like, there's no way there's no way that this is from this is green screen spill because if it was, they wouldn't be able to key it out cleanly enough because yeah. the faces would start going away and yeah. stuff because it was a lot of green on there and then, and then when it cut to the wider shot and how low they were flying, I was like, this must be like their idea of like what fluorescent and like mm. street lamps, you know, ambient light looks like on them. But yeah, I, I remember thinking the same thing for a second, but I was like. The floor, if the floor was painted green, I mean, if they're in a studio where the floor is green, it could be <laughs> reflecting up, but I was yeah. like, it'd be really insanely sloppy for a show with, that has displayed incredible cinematography that yeah. it wouldn't make any sense. So I, I would imagine that was kind of the effect they were going for. Yeah. It, it does certainly play to the silliness of everything that's going on. Yeah. They might as well have just had him like laying like clearly on his belly, just like going like this with his arms. Like, Wee! yeah, I, they, they might as well have played uh, a whole new world. Oh my <laughs> God. I know he's like carrying him. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. No, it, it I, I was, like also it was they good. just pop into a bar for a drink. Like that's yeah. what they do to hang out. Yep. I, they should have made jokes about him drink what what Icarus was drinking. It, well, he was. They did. Did they? And I just missed because it because the the uh, as soon as we cut to the inside, the bartender asks, "He's like, would you like another ginger ale?" And Icarus is like, "No." And then and then Cassidy's oh, like, right, so "Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to go to yourself." Yeah. <laughs> It that's right good. that's right i didn't catch what the drink was i heard cass's reaction yeah and i assumed he was just teasing him for like only having one beer or something yeah he reminds me of um 
Oh man, I feel like a dummy for not remembering his name from the IT crowd. The uh the goth dude who lives in like the server room. Oh. oh it'll be on the tip of my tongue if I think about it, but I'm just gonna look it up. Yeah, I feel he's like the best character in the show, and it's stupid that I can't remember it. He's got my favorite joke in the Richmond. entire Richmond. Richmond. <laughs> he's got my favorite joke in the entire series. I'm actually gonna make another IT crowd reference later at the end of this <laughs> the end of this episode. I had it in my notes. Um yeah, Richmond is a, more jokes like that would have been amazing. Yeah. Richmond is uh is just the best. Yeah, he's not so much the gothic vampire. He's more of he's like the high council from uh Twilight. They're really like foppish vampires with their little neck yes. frills and <laughs> Yeah, he is like that. Wonderful. If you if if anyone listening is wondering how we know so much about one of the installments of Twilight, yeah, we've watched the first three Twilight films with the riff tracks commentary, mm-hmm. and the first and third are wonderful experiences, <laughs> and the second should be burned and never seen <laughs> because even the comedic stylings of the riff track guys can't save it. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievably bad. But the first is is a lot of fun, and the third is is just zany. Thank you for clarifying, because yeah. I didn't even think about <laughs> letting, letting. I mean, if I had seen it, I would own up to it and be like, "Yeah, oh, it's yeah. Not Twilight." Whatever. Yeah, no, but, but uh, honestly, they're they're really fun with the riff tracks. The first and the third one, I had a great time. While we yeah, were watching no, those. it. I I think uh, there's a group of like four. Was it four or five of us? Anyway, there was a small group of guys who were hanging out and watching Twilight, and uh, it was great. Yeah, there's your TLDR. It was good. Um. I remember you were miserable during that second one though. I was like, "This sucks," but I'm I'm still laughing at a few jokes. But you in particular were just like, because I don't think I caught the first one with you guys. Oh, you didn't see the first. I came in at two. The first was probably the best, and two was so bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It was just it was. See, rough. you weren't you know on the one level you didn't have the all the humor from the first movie to carry you through, but you also didn't know the story that's mm-hmm. actually there mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. screen. So yeah, yeah I'm you sure, weren't invested. I'm sure that was the issue. <laughs> the first one, had, the first one was so good. I. I don't know how much riff tracks are to buy or download or rent or whatever, but it's absolutely worth renting or somehow acquiring the first Twilight and and getting riff tracks along with it. Yeah, I think you have to download the commentary separately. I think so. Which kind of sucks unless you can buy. I don't know. I'm not sure how it goes. Yeah, I forgot. It's been but years. Yeah. Anyway, riff tracks are great. Yeah. Um. Anything else about the? This is also where they fight. This is where the fight between mm-hmm. Acarius and and Cassidy happens, and I I thought that was very good. Uh, the the slow mo of it, I think. Uh, I don't think it looked that didn't look silly to me. I just thought it was it was cool, well done, and, yeah. and it worked. It served its served its purpose. He had the joke that every single fast moving character in every movie ever has, where they look at the arm and then yeah. look back, and it's like. Yeah, I was like, oh, there, there it is. <laughs> Check that one off. Yep. <laughs> Turn the page. What else we got to hit? Yeah. Yeah, it was good, though. I like I like that he continually displays that he is just a more advanced vampire than Cassidy and is as fast and powerful as you would assume Cassidy is, that this guy is on another level. Have we seen Cass really display any crazy feats of strength? He's done feats of, like, survivability where he's, like, jumped out of a plane and shit, and he's healed. He's come back from it. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think we've seen him as like uh, I, I, he as like superhuman strong. He, the closest we get to that, I think, is his introduction with him falling out of the plane. But before he falls out of the plane, he like dismantles this entire group of people trying to kill him. Yeah, and, and that, part, part of that, I mean, yeah, that's true. Part of that comes from his his nature, but also the fact that 
He's probably been in a lot of fights over the years. You got to be. He's also probably like high on some concoction <laughs> true, as yeah. well. So he's got some type of weird PCP strength. <laughs> exactly. Plus vampire strength. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's. Uh, in the books, there's moments where you get to. You do get a display of like, okay, he is. He has superhuman strength, basically, okay. too. Where he could. Uh, he could. He could do some damage. He's mostly well, and we also see him in the tombs, like fighting. But it's not like when, like when he says to Icarus, "I'm gonna rip your head off." Like that's a real threat. He could just pull your head off if he really wanted to. I didn't get that impression so far in the show. But gotcha. We'll see. Um, the other thing that I noted was that the after Dang is turned, he drops his fangs into yeah. into like an aquarium full of them, f- yeah. filled with them, which made me kind of worried <laughs> yes yeah there's uh like how how many are out there are they actually as good as Acarius thinks they are that's a good question to be asking so yeah there, yeah. Might, there might be a lot of unchecked vampires running around out there yeah in new orleans <laughs> <laughs> that we i skipped over that line Hoover, hoover's joke Hoover, yeah. hoover's joke of uh the irish demon <laughs> how hard can it be to find an irish demon carted off by a hooting pack of cape wearing nobodies and then Hoover, Hoover's shit-eating green while he says, well, it is New Orleans. It's like... Herder. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a perfect uh, star piece of dialogue, too. Yes. It's the kind of line that only he can deliver so expertly. Yes. A hooting pack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. And then the final act. There's a lot that goes on here, so I'll probably stop like halfway through or so. Uh, wait, the, all or, fa- yeah, I the, guess- the All-Father's Dinner with Hairstar... It basically starts here. Okay. And uh, we get the story about how Crusaders uh, were known. Like the, the the sign of the Crusader of Jerusalem was their their spurs. <laughs> yeah. And they would have to eat their horses in order to honor them properly, essentially. And they'd have to put them down if they goofed. Yes. Yeah. Because they they held their life in their hands, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that part where do you know what the symbol was? He just goes sword, just says, <laughs> not not a sword, just the, it says the word sword. <laughs> no, it's well, and I guess the underlying like, do do you? Uh, we skipped over the I skipped over the fact that uh, Star shares with Hoover that the All Father uh, crushed a man's head by sitting on it because he touched his hot pocket. Yeah. And, and he says, like, don't be fooled, because Hoover says he just, like, seems fat. And yes. he's like, don't be fooled. He's a ruthless killer. He makes me seem like a, what do you say? Con- Conscientious objector. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, so I guess the thing that I'm wondering here is, like, uh, the story and the show of the 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 horse being dragged in on the cart uh, next to them seems to be a very overt threat. Yes, to, I, I would agree from the all father to star as like i know you're holding out on me and you are my steed upon which i ride and i may have to put you down if you've done me wrong yeah you're the you're my method of conveyance to the to the end game here but yeah. if you yeah exactly you are you are i if will you, eat you if you misstep <laughs> yeah actually that's true the threat is very literal <laughs> Yeah, and it's pretty much confirmed by the last line of the episode. Yeah, like, that he's he knows there's more going on here. Yeah, they will. They they have to talk about Jesse. So. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, the only other thing was this is also where they start feeding the souls back to grandma. And I think Jesse continues to be suspicious of what grandma will do once back to some of her strength, if not full strength. We also, uh, with the all father, he kind of reveals that his plan is to unleash nuclear Armageddon. That's the, the final, that's the final act. But okay. Yes. My mistake. No, I, I, well, we can talk about it now, but the, the fact that like, Star is alarmed by the fact that nuclear apocalypse is what will bring out that that is the precursor to Humperdoo's uh coming. Unfailing. Yes, his <laughs> second coming. The second coming of the Christ child. But um that that was very interesting to me because Star says that, oh, I thought it was just going to be a run on the banks or something like that. I don't know if that is him playing coy to the all father, or if that is uh, him genuinely unaware of the fact that like that is what the Grail will assert will have to happen, or or wants to assert that dominance to to clear the 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 people. Star definitely reacts to it as though he thinks the All Father has lost his mind, mm. which is sort of reinforced by him loving the tap dancing of Humperdoo. Yeah, but I still kind of think that. He he kind of enjoys where Humperdue is at because he can he can maintain control of Humperdue. Yeah, He's, like if if Star or Jesse or anybody else was being put forth as the uh, second coming of Christ, he would not be able. They would have their own agendas. Yes, and, but uh, it is weird that the All Father thinks like the general populace would be like, "Oh, this is totally the guy," but they also have a, an incredible level of influence where like basically like local politicians and. Uh, I don't mean local as in like, you know, at the state level, but <laughs> like uh, of of nations, you know, the, the yeah. leaders of, of all the nations are pretty much in their pocket and they can say like, you have to tell your people that this is what's up. Otherwise, like, well, and it also makes some sense on the level of like, I think the um, the populace that is around after a nuclear holocaust would be more likely to believe in Humperdue than the one that is currently existing in the world, you know? Mm. Like, I think that is why the Allfather thinks, you know, no more training is necessary, we can move it up. Not only because he wants to manipulate Humperdue, but also because Humperdue... Like, they could put up Joe Schmo as the Christ child and you know after the horrors that have occurred when all of the nukes have exploded yeah people will be like oh my god a ray of hope mm-hmm. so i i think that from that sense makes sense too but it still surprised me that star was surprised by that plan yeah i think in star's mind i mean star even says to hoover in the elevator i want power and I think in Star's mind, that's how you achieve power and control in the modern era is you control money. Yeah. If you emptied, if you essentially did Sean Bean's plan from GoldenEye, wonderful film. <laughs> uh, you Starring Pierce Brosnan. It's true. Subject of the last episode of Gone to Texas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and hot topic on, on Discord. Yes. Uh, as always. <laughs> his His plan to basically disrupt all the banks of the world and... Although he does it just in a, as like an anarchy way. I don't think he's necessarily take, talking about stealing the money. He probably is. It's been a while since I've seen Goldeneye. And that part is kind of a footnote ultimately. But his plan is to just like basically make all the banks lose all their records so that there's financial chaos. Yeah. And I think in Star's mind, it's like, hey, 
we take all the money and then we call all the shots. Mm-hmm. And the All Fathers plan may actually be rooted in some sort of belief system. Like he may think yeah. that in that genuine apocalypse is nuclear apocalypse. That is the judgment. Like the people Yeah. The people will die who who are going to die and the ones that are left are the ones that which is insane because I'm not sure that's how it works like necessarily. I mean, I've never been through a nuclear explosion, but <laughs> it seems like if you survive, you're part of a small percentile. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, especially when he, in, in the way the Allfather phrases it, like we will tell all the, the leaders of the nations around the world to all let loose. So, so if all of these countries are setting nukes off, like... It's not good. And I think that's kind of also why like st- stars, stars also back. wondering like what is left to control. And that shows that his motive is just like to have control of, to tell the world what to do. And the all father may genuinely want to fulfill the mission of, uh, his higher ups. Yes. In heaven. Which is essentially heaven. But we also know he's talking to the devil. Yeah. So that's true. His motivation is still a little. That's a little iffy. maybe that's the expansion plan too. Like that is hell on earth, hell on earth. at that point yeah. too. Hmm. Interesting. Don't want to forget about that. I'll keep that back yeah. in my mind. We'll, I'll write it on the board that is currently nowhere near us. Okay. That we will. Ho- I'll hopefully remember to consult before we record our season wrap up. But all right, let's get to actual Act Five. Um, Cassidy sits alone in an abandoned house, getting high when he gets a call from Tulip. Tulip updates Cassidy on the latest news from Angelville, but Cassidy seems completely uninterested. He informs Tulip that he doesn't intend to hang around waiting for her and Jesse as he's gone through thousands of them before. And Tulip is teary-eyed when she gets off the phone, but she gets knocked out with chloroform. Uh, in the next room, Grandma thinks, thanks Jesse for helping her get back on her feet, but she's angry at Tulip and she really wants Jesse's debt paid. She knocks Jesse out. And we're led to believe that they're taking Tulip's soul, but they really force her to watch as they take Sabina's. Jesse sees Sabina without her soul and kills her on the spot, saying he'll pay his debt, but he'll be calling the Grail. uh, The Allfather and Star finish their meal. Star is shocked to learn the apocalypse will be a nuclear holocaust before Humperdue takes the world. And after the Allfather purges, uh, he's ready for business and it's time to talk about Jesse Custer. Uh, finally, Cassidy returns to Mrs. Rosen's house after smoking crack all day to join the Children of Blood. Les incompetents. Yes. Uh, the phone call between Cassidy and Tulip uh, was very, very good. It was. Sad. Uh, for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think what affected me the m- most was Cassidy's, like, Cassidy's cut loose. He's like, all right, you know, you guys pushed me away and I'm done now. Like, I'm moving on. Yeah. Which is not what I was expecting from him. Uh, the idea that Tulip would be sad that Cassidy is not. Like, I, I guess I saw their, I saw Cassidy's departure or Cassidy's getting on the bus more from her perspective of like, you're in danger. We're going to come and get you later. Mm-hmm. I believed that. And I think that's what they intended, but clearly Cassidy's kind of like, nope. Yeah, I think it's easy to, it's easy to mistake intentions in this world. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I think in Cass's mind, they just he's an inconvenience, 
And while they work out whatever problems they have going on without him, once it's convenient for them, they will come pick him up and he can join out, join along. It's easy to feel, I think, pushed, you know, relegated to the sideline in his mind. Yeah. And in Tulip's mind, it was to protect him. And in Jesse's mind, it probably was actually to get him the hell away from Tulip because he was being annoying. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily blame Cass, but Cassidy's uh, line about his whole the kind of speech, I guess, about, you know, there were thousands before you and there will be thousands more and all that. Like, that's very comic book Cassidy. Mm. I really dug that. I was, like, pretty into it. Uh, I liked the whole conversation. I liked, I loved Tulip on the phone. Just Clearly she knows something's wrong, but she just keeps talking anyway. And I, yeah. I, I really liked that. I thought it was really endearing. She keeps trying to, like, Pull it out of smooth it over and kind of get some sort of reaction. And it was dark, yeah, very dark. Him literally sitting in like a basement, a graffitied basement, yeah, like a parking garage. It looked like it was really nasty. Yeah, she's like, You're in a crack house, aren't you? He's like, No, it's not a house, it's not a house. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very sad, but I I I, like that we're getting into all this kind of uh, the trappings of immortality with Cassidy. Yeah, it's it's cool stuff to think about, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I feel like it's been enough time since that Twilight BS that I actually kind of care about it again, you know? You think it's interesting? There, there's storytelling potential there? Yeah, like, um, I, I came to, like, Buffy the Vampire and Angel very late, and those are things that I, like, finished probably five years ago, I think. And that was kind of in the heyday of that. But I was always of the mind of like, well, everybody else, not everybody else, but those who care have their Twilight and and True Blood going on. But I've got, I'm going back to Buffy when things were good. Hmm. And I feel like we've gotten to the point where vampire stuff is out of vogue and can be more nuanced and doesn't need to be doesn't have to conform to any sort of popular yes opinion yeah so i i think it's a good time for cassidy to be exploring these things yeah for sure so that's pretty nice i think vampires can be such a such an amazing storytelling device like there's so much there that is really 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 cool it's why i'm Still as good as parts of it are, the Will Smith I Am Legend did not deliver on the on the potential that it could that it held. Yeah. And I think when somebody eventually makes a fourth f- filmed version of, of that story, they could maybe really get it right. Like now's the time it feels like where people are actually adapting books properly. <laughs> We're kind of in this era now where like things are being treated with like oh, oh, Maybe if we just make it that oh you know what I say that and then uh, I think of the Dark Tower so never, <laughs> never mind. It's well, invalidated. to be fair, that was in the works forever. Yeah, and it went through some development hell. Yeah, but, but like we think of like it, like just hire like a like a, it's a relatively like pretty much a no name director with like with a cool idea, some cool style, and just like adapt the material, keep it faithful, let it but let it breathe. But cut out some of the extraneous stuff and just like, you know. No, you know what's going to happen to it is someone is going like, you've got the Omega Man and other adaptations of the I Am Legend story that have happened since then. But I feel as though it will get to a point where other people borrow from it and do the things from it that it will be a John Carter in the future of like someone will do the perfect adaptation 
of I Am Legend in like 2030. Okay. And then people will look back on it and be like, well, this is really derivative. And then yeah. it's like, yes, it is derivative off of everything that was derivative off of the original book. Yeah. I true. feel like that's what it's positioned to be. But there will be people like you and me that will appreciate it very much for what it was. That's one that you should get the audio book of because it's not very long. I read that one in high school. Oh, you did? That is a book that I actually read. It's Whoa. been a long time. Though. I know. Well, I know. you found it. Give me a gold star. You are a legend. <laughs> I am legend is legend. <laughs> Yes. It's the book you've read. That was uh that was a book that I read senior year in the section of my English class where they were like, We want you to pick a pick a book that you want to read and then tell people about it. Oh, I don't really remember much about what I said about it, unfortunately. Man, but. it's so good. It's such a great read. It's such a page turner. Yeah. I will never forget the first time I read that and I was at home in my apartment on thirteen and crooks. And when I read that chapter where he runs out to the store to like the Sears or whatever to try to stock up with supplies and he's driving home at breakneck speed as the sun yeah. is going down and they're all running out of their houses to try to get him and he like rides up on his lawn and just like th- just like barrel rolls through the front door just just in time yeah oh my god i was so freaked out i was like that that one sequence in the book had me on the edge of my seat and, yeah. and the movie never even got close i mean the movie had its moments that were really effective and they got me so excited and they come rolling out these stupid creatures and i was like oh man because well, it's so good in the book anyway yeah vampires no. they have they hold so much potential they do it's, they it's the reason do. why i think it's what we do in the shadows is so good for so many reasons but it really does like use vampires really effectively that came at the right time too absolutely like it, it, it was uh kind of at the start of this like quieter period they're making a series stuff. out of it right yeah yeah well I think they're making. A I don't know if it's it's a series following the vampires or if it is the werewolves, or maybe they're doing both. I think it's both, because I think uh, I don't know. I just want to see more Reese Darby, so I you know, <laughs> I'm good with whatever. <laughs> so good, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would want Taika Waititi and and Jemaine Clement to return. Yeah, I would want them all to come back. Honestly, they should be by Peter too, because Peter was the best. <laughs> Peter was good. Anyway, watch uh, what we do in the shadows if you haven't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. The grandma stuff. Uh, so she clearly comes back to health. Tulip gets captured for some reason. Yeah, that was unclear. Uh, it like they it uh just to psych us out for I, sixty seconds. I, yeah, like yeah, that's that's what's weird about it. Like it, it seems as though they wanted us to believe that the person in the chair was Tulip. Um, but to what end? Like. I guess in the long run, I'm still a little hazy on what Jesse's debt really is. Was it the sense of like, does grandma want, I guess grandma just wants full operation of their system of Angelville soul harvesting for her youth to continue. Honestly, why doesn't grandma just become a vampire? (laughs) It'd be so much easier. Yeah, that's true. I guess because she likes hurting people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And because they don't believe in it and they burn vampires there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But the... uh, it, it It's not totally clear to me that the debt is strictly just a we want everything... We want Angelville back to prosperity. Like, it, it almost... Like, I was wondering if Sabina herself was the solution. Like, that was her debt being paid. Or that was his debt being paid. But him killing her is like, 
I'm not going to pay it that way. I'm going to do it a different way. Mm. And that's when it's like, we're going to call the grail. That's a good excuse for him to get the grail there because I think, I kind of think that Jesse's plan is to manipulate the grail and Angelville into like just shooting each other, hoping that he can play one against the other. But it look right now it looks like it's wrapped up in the in the pretext of oh the I have this resource here that will get you infinite souls, yeah, which is and, pretty much true. Well, yeah, but but uh, like it it like there's got to be more to it to that because I don't think Jesse just wants open fire because grandma if grandma dies then Tulip's dead mm. like there's there's more nuance to it. Well, I think he wants to fulfill the bargain, release the. Like he might hold up his end of the deal and then get enough long enough to to free Tulip and then be like, I, I guess I that's like, the thing. I think like he'll have some little seed he can plant in each camp to get them pissed at each other, and then and then ideally that's as right they're when as they're blowing each other up and the saint shows up, Jesse and Tulip can walk away. Yeah, that's my hope. I think that'd be spectacular. That would be very good. I just I guess I just I'm not of the belief. No, I guess it's not that I'm not of the belief. I don't know that there is a world where Tulip can can no longer be intertwined with Grandma's hmm. life. Okay. Like, that's my question still, I guess. I feel like it's going to have to happen. They're going to have to split off, but I am i don't know how yet. And I, I have no knowledge from the book to carry over to this speculation. So, I don't know. I feel like the show can't... Basically, I don't think Grandma's ever going to let Jesse go unless he makes her. Yeah. And I don't think she'll, uh, basically I think it's going to be kind of an over my dead body kind of situation. Yeah. And I think he's going to have to hit the road with Tulip again eventually. And so one of these things is going to have to give. And I think for the show to happen, there's going to have to be a way to Well, but that. like, I, I guess my, the technicality of it all, like I, I, I think I told you last episode that I was wondering if the literal power of the word is going to be what keeps grandma alive but takes her off of the the chessboard that's right yeah but keeps her heart beating yes in like a in a, in a safety deposit box somewhere <laughs> yeah absolutely with tulips spit sealing it up <laughs> you might be right actually so that's true the word see that's screwed up i've completely counted the word out of anything in this show because it hasn't been in the show for forever yeah and it's it's weird I'm ready for it to to come back. But the, <laughs> that's the weird thing is that this season's been really good so far. It has, yeah, it has. <laughs> that's the thing is like he doesn't exploit the. I mean, he does exploit it in the book, but it's not like the solution to every problem. Yeah, he does use it a lot, but it's not like every single situation he solves it with the word. He doesn't. He doesn't want to abuse it. Mm-hmm. He only really uses it on people that I think he thinks deserve it. Yeah. So. Whereas in the show, he's a little willy nilly with it in season one. Yeah. He just kind of was like, eh the word yeah uh we touched on all of the all father stuff i i believe i don't know that yeah there's... i think the big reveal there is that he knows about jesse and yep. we're gonna get some dialogue about that yeah how, how is star gonna spin it so that he can still maybe recover jesse and subvert the all father's ex, uh plans but yeah i think star's got some he's got some schemes yeah for sure uh the all father purging himself and his bucket purge stick has got to be <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a reference to Monty Python <laughs> to uh, yeah. the meaning of life I think yeah the one that has Le- that uh, yeah yeah which is so good it's such a good sketch it was just visually too too similar 
I apologize if it was someone in the Discord, but I think I saw on Reddit somewhere that somebody was just like, now we understand how the Allfather keeps his figure. <laughs> I just thought it was a very good oh, he's joke. looking so good. You're looking good. <laughs> Your stomach staples hold. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then Cassidy going back to... Uh, yeah, this is my other IT crowd uh, reference because he... <laughs> The way he looks and the way he acts and the way he just plays out the scene, I was like, is Cassidy being played by Chris O'Dowd in this scene? Because <laughs> it was so, it just reminded me so much of him. Like the extra curly hair kind yep. of over in his eyes and the way he was just kind of like down and kind of glum and bashful in this whole scene opposite this little old lady. It was just like right away. I was like, this is like something out of the IT crowd. I feel like I don't see Chris O'Dowd as much as I wish I did. Well, yeah, I would. We'd see he's, him every day. Ideally, well, yeah, but but he, I feel like he's picking strange projects, which is good. I don't know. I guess I don't know. I don't feel like I've watched much of what he's been doing lately. But I feel like after Bridesmaids, I was like, oh, he's gonna Chris O'Dowd's gonna mainstream. be everywhere, and and then he like he was in Thor too, right? I think he was in the Dark World. <sighs> yes, briefly. Yeah, right. He was like, uh, he went on a date with Jane. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. See, it's stupid when I search for Chris and IMDb, I get Hemsworth, Pratt, Pine, and Evans in that order, <laughs> followed by some other guy I don't know, and then Chris Klein, <laughs> star of Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Also did a great Mamma Mia audition tape that is out there on did the he? internet. Oh, yeah, it beautiful. is horrendous, but it's great. Yeah, Chris O'Dowd, you're, you're right. He's been picking cool stuff. He was the he was one of the only good things about the Cloverfield paradox, and by only uh, I mean you can count them on one hand how many <laughs> things are good about that movie. But he was quite enjoyable. Yeah, I, d- I have I, I didn't I chose to not watch that movie after everyone's thoughts. It's, it's on a it good movie, out, but yeah, he was in the program. That movie kicked ass. It was the movie about Lance Armstrong. Ah, uh, uh, Ben Foster played Lance Armstrong. I remember you being excited about it, but I yeah, did not I was because it. Chris O'Dowd was in it, and so was Lee Pace. And uh, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting like modern scandal that it blew up and then it disappeared again. Uh, but yeah, it was a really solid movie. I actually watched it on a flight, and uh, I was completely plugged into it the entire time. Like usually I get distracted on planes, but like I was really into it. It was a it was a really cool movie. Just like simple. Uh, it's got a low meta uh, meta score and a low IMDb score, but honestly, I thought it was like a really solid movie. He did do a great job in Molly's Game. I did see Molly's Game. Oh yeah, and uh, and and he he plays a, a fun character in that. But I'm I, I that's the thing. I, I expected him to be bigger than he was. But anyway, he might get there. He and might, and, and no, there. he's it, got the potential. Maybe so he like. is he is doing the smart thing and not overplaying himself in the in the field. It's but true. Anyway. That's enough for the Chris O'Dowd cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other final thoughts? I'm every thread that gets opened up in this episode. I'm really excited to follow. Yeah, I, I liked this one quite a bit. Yeah, there was nothing that kind of made me like. I'm really excited to see where the Saint and Eugene pick up. I'm excited to see what happens with the aftermath of killing Madame Boyd. I'm excited to see what happens with Cassidy and Les Enfants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm. There's one more that I can't remember now. Uh, well, I guess that's about it. Oh, uh, the All Father, Jess- Jesse, Star. Jesse calling the Grail as yeah. well. I'm excited for everything to kind of. I feel like so. This is episode six. So this we've is got, six. So we got we've, seven, eight, we've nine, got ten. Four more. Yep. Yes, I'm excited. It's, I think it's, we are we are building. What's great is like we we still have four more and we don't have seven more. 
Yes. Like if we were, if we had 13 or anything beyond at this point, I'd be like, oh, I'd be, I'd be a lot more tired. I exactly. Think. Yeah. yeah. But no, this feels like we're right on track. It feels perfect. Well, and not, not to spoil anything about anybody's expectations. The next episode is called Hitler. Oh, okay. But, uh, I, I did. It's called Hitler. It is called Hitler. Oh, okay. It is titled Hitler. Uh, but the, uh, I, I caught a glimpse of the description and it does mention Jesse. So I, I think there will be, it's not just going to be, here's what Hitler's been up to since, oh, good. since escaping hell. So, uh, you know, it, they, I think they learned a lesson from season two in that maybe concentrating and being more selective about when they visit the hell storyline stuff would would be more effective than the here's a trickle 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 every week until yeah. you know so yeah so far this good. this season has felt really really nicely paced yeah i've liked it a lot nicely paced no we're nicely paced yes. always <laughs> and uh i i really i think i'll look back on this one as potentially my favorite yeah I agree. We'll see. We shall see. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on G2TPodcast.com. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and many other podcatchers. We're G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, FX's The Alienist, and HBO's Westworld. Find out more about these shows as well as uh, how to support our network at the Midwest Podcast at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. And that's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We cannot wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word. <laughs> <laughs>